Hello and welcome to the Project Pelvic Health Podcast. Before we start, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the eight-week postpartum program. It's for moms with a baby two years old or younger who want to recover and get back to things they were doing pre-baby. We work through things like leaking, prolapse, incontinence, etc. We help moms to get their lives back. If you're interested in learning more and want to see if working with us will be a good fit for you, send an email to erica at villagefpt.com or visit villagefpt.com. The link will also be in the show notes. Hey friends, welcome back to the Project Public Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Erica Gladney, and I'm a pelvic floor and orthopedic physical therapist passionate about educating women of all ages about all things pelvic health. I'm really excited to share with you the conversation that I had with Dr. Betsy Caldwell. She's the founder of Yes Mama Co. and the creator of the Push Lab. She's a doctor of physical therapy and she specializes in pelvic health. She shares her heart behind her company, what she believes pregnancy, labor, and delivery should look like for mamas, and some really helpful tips for any moms out there who are expecting. I'm so thankful for her knowledge and the time that she took to come on the podcast. So without further ado, here's Dr. Betsy. Hey, Betsy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Erica. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Um, I'd love to start off with just having you share a little bit about yourself and your background and what you currently do. Sure. So uh, first and foremost, I'm a wife. I'm a mother to two boys, three and a half and 15 months, and I'm currently pregnant with baby twin girls. And I know we're very excited. It was a a huge surprise. Um, But career wise, I have my doctor, doctorate in physical therapy, just like you, Erica. And I worked in the women's health, pelvic health world for several years before transitioning into the online world because I realized my heart was really in educating women directly um, versus being in the treatment room and waiting for the OBs to, um, you know, recommend my services. And I tried marketing to the OBs and the midwives and the duels and like the birth world be like, hey, like pelvic floor PT is not only just needed postpartum, but it's needed during pregnancy. That was like where my heart was at. And so finally I realized, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and put all of this online and I absolutely love it. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's so awesome. So how many years were you in the clinic before you decided to just transition Mm -hmm. out of it? I worked for two years in a women's health pelvic clinic just outside of Denver, um, Colorado. And I quickly became known as like the prenatal postpartum pelvic health PT because that's just where my heart and passion lied. Mm -hmm. And I just started to notice that one, I was seeing mostly postpartum women and they were very traumatized, a lot of them by birth. They didn't feel like they were prepared well enough and they were bewildered by the symptoms that brought them to see me. They had no idea what could happen postpartum. And then I was noticing the very small population of pregnant women I was treating, they were coming back to see me and they're like, Betsy, I don't really need this appointment. I just wanted to tell you how great my birth went because of the things we worked on, because of, you know, the confidence you gave me and how healthy I felt through my pregnancy. And there was such a discrepancy. It made me realize like, okay, I've got to get to the pregnant moms in a different way than just Again, waiting for the that referral, which wasn't coming as frequently as I wanted it to. So after two years in the PT pelvic health world, I 
took to social media. Um, some of my own experiences in the birth room made me realize that labor and delivery education was not preparing these women. And so it kind of became my mission to help transform birth education so that we can feel empowered during the process and we can feel our best postpartum. Mm-hmm. I love that. So that kind of leads into the next question. Tell us a little bit more about your heart behind specifically your company, Yes Mama Co., right? That's how you say it, Yes Mama Co. And then um, the Push Lab, what were some of the things that you were seeing or not seeing during pregnancy that kind of fueled that fire? Sure. So um, my company, Yes Mama Co., it was just, I needed a name. And it really just was... The idea that we all need to actively say yes to motherhood. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we say yes to our children every day, but are we saying yes to our physical, mental, spiritual health? Um, And a lot of us, most days, and me included, you know, we put that on the back burner. So my company is really to help, my mission is to help women be empowered to put themselves, you know, first, because when we take care of our health, when we take care of all aspects of that, we are better for our partners, for our children, for everyone who's in our life. And the Push Lab, this is my virtual birth class that I created, um, one from my clinical experience of seeing that women were just not prepared for childbirth, and two, through my own childbirth experience, which I can give such a short story about it, but my firstborn, I was working as a PT, I was very confident that I, I got this, I want a natural birth, you know, I exercised, I knew a lot of the physical components of giving birth. Um, But what I didn't prepare for was the mental and spiritual and emotional aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up being pressured into an induction for unnecessary medical reasons. I didn't even think of questioning my OB or my healthcare team. I said yes, even though it wasn't what I wanted. And from the get-go, they said, your body will not go into labor on its own. So I went into my birth thinking that I had already failed. And so Mm. it was a 36-hour labor and delivery. It was very traumatic. A lot of things happened. My voice was silenced. And I walked out of that experience and I was like, I'm a healthcare professional. You know, I have my doctorate degree. I knew all of this stuff. Mm. (laughs) And it didn't translate to an empowered birth. So I realized there's a link missing. Um, And so through a lot of just my passion about um, pain science and how we can manage pain naturally without having to say yes to interventions right away. Um, just like the holistic health world and through a lot of research, I took all of that together and I made the push lab because I want one women to know how to prepare themselves physically. This isn't just doing Kegels. Um, I want them to know that it is a mental game going into labor. I mean, how much time do women and men train for marathons, which I've never been on a marathon, but I think it's about a four, four and a half hour race. Mm-hmm. But labor can last days. You know, we've got to have that mental stamina. And when we get to the end of ourselves, we need that spiritual component, something beyond ourselves. So mm-hmm. that's where the push lab came in. And it's just been a, an awesome journey hearing women's stories who have taken it, um, especially moms who've had a similar experience as my own, very traumatized by what happened. And then they take the class and realize like, I can trust myself. I can trust this process. And I do have a say in how this plays out. There's a lot of things we can control and there are things that are out of our control and we need to be okay with that too. Mm-hmm. Have you known of other providers taking the push lap? Like I know I have and I don't have any babies yet, but 
Are there other providers who have taken it and have also learned something and benefited from it? Yes. You know, when I first came out with it, I was nervous. I mean, I believed in the content, but then I started having colleagues in the pelvic health world say, hey, I'm pregnant. I'm going to take my your course. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if I missed, you know, something? What if <laughs> I got like the explanation on diaphragmatic breathing just a little bit wrong than how they, how they teach it? So I started having all of these what ifs, but then I got a lot of feedback from pelvic health physical therapists who have taken it. I've had chiropractors take it. I've had doulas. I've even had a couple midwives sign up for their own education. I've never had an OB reach out about taking it. Um, I would be surprised. <laughs> but yeah. I have had a lot of birth professionals as well take it and really like that it's comprehensive, that I'm pulling in all of these different components. Um, and that's been great because in the beginning I was nervous having other mm-hmm. healthcare providers take the course, which I think is a natural feeling to have when you sure. put yourself out there in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, from my own experience, I learned a ton and really enjoyed it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you designed it? What can someone expect? Sure. So it's a online virtual course. When you buy it, you have it for life. So it's there to support you through each pregnancy. It's designed that you would want to go back to it with each pregnancy because there's exercise circuits. There is... Um, I give you mental and spiritual homework, like reflection questions, things to dive in deep with within yourself, with your birth partner or spouse if you have one. Um, there's an entire module that trains your birth partner how to help assist you in the birth, um, in the childbirth. And this is important because when I took a hospital labor and delivery class, my husband and I walked away like, wow, that wasn't helpful. They taught like one technique that he could do to help me. And we just knew as physical therapists, because my husband is a physical therapist too. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so much more to offer for, you know, natural pain relief. It's okay to take that epidural, but what are you going to do before you decide to get the epidural? You need to have these tools in your toolbox. So that's all there. Um, it's all pre-recorded. So I've literally had moms sign up. They find me somehow on online and they're like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. I'm 38 weeks pregnant. And I've had a mom come back and said, we were watching your birth videos. <laughs> While I was at the hospital and we were just doing what you were teaching and it was great. Um, So it's, you know, it's right there for moms. And I like that it's pre-recorded because you're getting the best of me. I'm also, you know, a mom of two. I'm pregnant to do it live. There would be times that these women wouldn't be getting the best of me. And so it's, it's all right there. And it's, you can have it on your iPad, your phone, your computer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How early do you recommend a mom starting if she's pregnant? Sure. Good question. Well, I always recommend signing up when you feel ready to learn and to move. So for many moms in that first trimester, they are just physically beat. They're so exhausted from the hormonal changes. They might have a lot of nausea and throwing up. I don't have like things that you have to be doing in that first trimester. But if if and when you feel ready in that first trimester to sign up, It is so important to start the mental preparation as soon as possible because we've got to weed out what society tells us about childbirth. They're telling us it's something to be feared. It's miserable. It's awful. You're going to start hearing as soon as you're pregnant and you announce it to the world, you start to hear everyone's birth story. And it doesn't seem like we hear the empowered ones. It seems like we hear Mm -hmm. the scary negative ones. So I give a lot of tips on how to help, you know, build up your armor, have a strong mindset. And the sooner we do that, the sooner we start to learn about 
um, childbirth in general, it's going to help us also weed through helpful and not helpful resources. So I like moms to sign up as soon as possible. You know, second trimester, you're not too late. Women who sign up in the third trimester, they're not too late either for learning a lot of the educational content, for learning the safe push techniques, the breathing techniques. Yes, maybe they don't get the exercise circuits their entire pregnancy, but there's still so much more than just that physical component. Right. So, <clears throat> um, You touched upon it a little bit already, but what are some of the biggest gaps that you see in prenatal and postpartum care with women who inquire about working with you or who register for the push lab? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. You know, I have talked with so many women online and the push lab, anyone can sign up. So globally, there have been women signing up from countries and I'm learning more about the birth culture there. Some countries have cesarean rates at 70, 80, even 90%. And these women are like, they're just saying I need a vaginal birth because I'm a first time mom, like, or I need a cesarean birth because I'm a first time mom. Um, And there's no reasoning behind it. So I'm learning a lot about how culture really plays a role. Some countries, they only want you birthing on the back. They say, I'm only legally able to assist you if you're on your back. And so I, I'm helping women learn how to advocate for themselves and for different, you know, what's a myth, what's, what can they say? Um, so there's a lot of education out there that's just, it's so interesting in different countries. I've come to learn. And in the U.S., we have rising induction rates. So I think I was just looking at these statistics. In like 1990, it was a 9% induction rate. Now in some states, it's almost a 40% induction rate. So a lot of women are going into pregnancy thinking this is standard, you know, that it's a medical event. Um, This is something that I just, I say yes to all the interventions without questioning it. Um, So there's, there's a lack of education I'm seeing. And what women are not really learning until they're having a consecutive pregnancy, it seems like for most women, is that there are options that mm-hmm. our bodies were created to birth babies and that it's not a medical diagnosis to be pregnant. So that's mm-hmm. kind of one of my passions is to help women learn, you know, when are these, these interventions save lives of moms and babies, but when is it necessary, when is it not, and how to have conversations with your doctors about that. Yeah. yeah. Where do you, do you feel, feel like, like the, the lack, lack of education, education is coming from? That's a good question. Well, um, I think that, you know, when you get pregnant, you go, you're going to see your doctor who's affiliated with the hospital. They give you the pamphlet on the hospital um, labor and delivery course. Sometimes, you know, at best, it's a series of, you know, once a night for several, several weeks. Sometimes it's just come for one night and that's all the education mm-hmm. they're getting. And I I don't fault the labor and delivery nurses who are usually teaching these classes, but they just don't have the biomechanical anatomy, um, anatomy education that like a physical therapist like us have. They don't understand how, you know, different changes, movements in your legs will either open or close the birth canal. They don't understand why Kegels are not something we have to be doing so often to prepare a pelvic floor. It's actually the exact opposite. So there's, it's a lack of education coming from the people who are making the hospital birth classes. And so it's also society too, though. And what we see in Hollywood and the movies and TV shows, we see women flat on their back. We see them, you know, screaming or like with a breath hold and all this tension in the face and fear. And it's just accumulation of what we see in culture and then what's, you know, offered to us yeah. in hospitals. Yeah. 
So what so are, are some, some of your favorite, favorite myths, myths that you like, like to, to dispel regarding <laughs> labor and delivery? <laughs> there's so many I could inspired it. I know there's I could write a book. I um you could. Yes. Some of my favorites are like I mentioned before, you know, just do your kegels to push the baby out. Um if we know that a kegel is a squeeze and a lift, that's the exact opposite of what needs to happen for that baby to travel down the birth canal. So if all we do is Kegel, 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 strengthen the pelvic floor. When we get to pushing and our body senses something down there, they're going to be like, oh, what have we been practicing? Oh, we've been doing Kegels. Why don't we just tighten up, right? And that is restricting baby's head from coming out. Something has to win. Baby's head usually does. We end up with a perineal tear um, or the need for, you know, uh, an episiotomy or forceps or vacuum. And we don't want any of that because we know that increases pelvic floor dysfunction postpartum. Another one is the laying flat on your back is the standard. That's the coziest, comfiest position for your doctor. It is the worst position for us because mm-hmm. now we're working against gravity. Now we almost have to do a breath hold push, um, which is putting an incredible, incredible amount of pressure on not only your linea alba, but your pelvic floor muscles, your um, pelvic organs, your ligaments. And that increase in pressure can also cause damage during childbirth. So that's a huge myth that just really bothers me as well. Um, the in what what is the uh, linea alba for our listeners? Oh, I'm sorry. The yeah, the linea alba. It is the ligament that runs from our sternum all the way down to our pubic symphysis. It is the area that we end up getting a diastasis rectus or a diastasis, as they like to call it. It's the separation of your six-pack muscles, which is meant to happen during pregnancy. But there's much that we can do to protect that area so it doesn't separate as too much because that can lead to other issues down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how so someone, someone pushes, pushes could potentially, potentially put them less at risk for making that worse. Yes. Well, yes. Um, pushing with a breath hold is definitely very strenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really when we're looking talking about diastasis rectus prevention or more protection because we can't really prevent it. Right. We're really talking about more biomechanics and um, posture and core mm-hmm. and breath during pregnancy. Gotcha. But the pushing plays a big role too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are a couple of the myths. Another, a few other ones are that you have to say yes to every intervention offered you. We should always be asking, what are the risks? What are the benefits? Can I wait? Um, what are my alternative options? So those are some of my favorite myths. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, so there's so a lot, lot of content out there for moms who are pregnant. And, and as soon as she finds out she's pregnant, pregnant, her Instagram feed somehow knows and is blowing up her <laughs> account with so many different other accounts and information, and it can be overwhelming. So what advice would you give to help her filter through some of the information out there? Yes. So, I mean, I'm going to say it. Sign up for the Push Lab because I help you weed through that information. But there, it's easy to think, you know, what to expect when you're expecting is one of the biggest culprits for misinformation out there. I often see them talking about doing your Kegels and other just outdated advice. So those big, big companies that kind of, they're they're kind of trying to encompass all of the prenatal world. They probably don't have the best advice. So if you want pelvic floor advice about pregnancy and postpartum, 
you know, try to find the pelvic floor therapist. If you want exercise advice, you know, beyond the physical therapy realm, look to the prenatal fitness specialists. They're there too. If you're not sure what you should be eating, there are prenatal nutritionists that you can see. They have Instagram accounts. I'm even learning a lot following a couple myself. Um, so try to find the experts and really avoid those big name companies that they're kind of just throwing stuff at you. And it's not always the most evidence-based or up-to-date. Right. It's helpful. Yeah. Um, okay, okay, so you were really passionate about displaying the myth around induction because of the baby's size. And I've heard this from my patients, the baby was measuring a certain size, so they're induced or they have to have an elective surgery. Um, what are your thoughts on induction regarding the baby's size, but also just induction in general? And do you feel like this impacts labor and delivery? Sure. Yeah. So I think I am so passionate about it because of my first experience. The reason I was pushed for an induction was they said, you're going to have a nine and a half to 10 and a half pound baby and mm-hmm. you are not dilated. You're not effaced. We've got to start um, the induction process now before that baby gets bigger, like this emergency. My baby was seven pounds and 14 ounces. So oh they were off by over a pound and a half. I mean, a pound and a half. And when they told me that, And I'm like laying exhausted after a 36 hour, very traumatic experience. And I just looked at them and if they would have said that to me now with all the, you know, hindsight's 2020, I would have been like, so I just went through all of this for no reason. Um, So we can't trust an ultrasound to tell us that we better be induced because our body can't handle a big baby. I know women who have birthed 11 pound babies without perineal tears at home. So Mm -hmm. we need to change our mindset to oh my gosh, this baby, something's gone wrong in my body. This baby needs to get out. Unless, of course, there's a medical emergency and baby needs to get out too. This baby's growing the way it's supposed to within my body. I'm nourishing this baby. I'm exercising. I'm being healthy. Um, I've been doing a lot of research on induction lately because it's so prevalent in the U.S. And when it comes to big babies, there's research that if your doctor thinks you have a big baby, you're more prone to... Um, ending up with all these interventions that could lead you to a cesarean. They'll, they'll diagnose, this, diagnose it as failure. Um, sorry, I'm totally losing my train of thought. It's okay. Failure <laughs> to not thrive. What is it when they – you'll have to edit this out. That's Hold okay. <laughs> failure to progress. That's it. Okay. Um so often they end up diagnosing failure to progress because baby is not coming down the birth canal. And they, because the doctor thinks your baby's too big, they are more quick to make that diagnosis. Whereas if you actually have a big baby, but your doctor's not concerned about it, you're less likely to have these interventions to be induced. So it's almost like the doctor's perception is playing a bigger role than your anatomy, the anatomy of the baby or the anatomy of you. So I think we need to, I know it's really interesting. Um, And also, you know, hope inspires OBGYNs and midwives to really think before they tell a mom that like their baby is too big inside of them. Um, Now, if someone has gestational diabetes, this information changes a little bit. Yes, they're prone to have a bigger baby, but that doesn't mean that we need to like look at induction right away. um, If baby and mom are healthy and mom is managing her diagnosis well mm-hmm. so yeah size of baby we shouldn't be concerned about that um, we shouldn't be concerned 
about being induced because we're at, you know, we've hit 39, 40 or 41 weeks. We all carry for a different period of time. I carry my babies much longer. And there's actually research that in, in Europe, they measure due dates much differently than we do in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so my cycles are usually like 33 to 35 days. That plays a role into how long my pregnancies are. So I have longer pregnancies. So to, to induce early doesn't make sense for my body. My body's not ready. The baby's not ready. But um, so we need to be doing like an individualized calculation for due dates and not be so concerned about that hard date. Um, okay, you talked about it a little bit already, but why would doing Kegels potentially not be as helpful of a way to prepare for birth? Yeah, so we talked about it a little bit. Yes. So if we know that a Kegel is a squeeze and a lift, right, we don't want to be creating too much pressure and closing down the birth canal. So we really need to be focusing on how our breath changes the dynamics of the pelvic floor. We need to be um, learning what does it feel like to be tense in the pelvic floor and what does it feel like to relax, to do a pelvic drop where our pelvis is gently bulging and how can we change the dynamics of our glottis our diaphragm, even our core muscles working together to help that pelvic floor open and relax. So when baby's head is coming through the pelvic outlet, those pelvic floor muscles can stretch and open. Um, So that takes signing up for the push lab and learning with me or going to a pelvic floor physical therapist who has done a little bit of extra training, learning about the dynamics of birth and different breath um, and push techniques so that you can mm-hmm. learn it with them. Mm-hmm. Have you heard, Have you heard of, of any research, research talking about the difference between like coach coach pushing, pushing and then and spontaneous, spontaneous pushing? pushing? Yes. So uh, I don't have any like research stats off the top of my head on that, but um, one of the things that we really should be avoiding is coached pushing where the doctor is looking, you know, you're strapped with a fetal monitor and they can see you're having a contraction. Maybe you have an epidural, so you don't feel the contractions. They're like, okay, now you got to push. I'm sort of telling you what to do. Whereas in the more holistic natural birth world, we're thinking what position can we get mom in so that she's so relaxed. She's like in her Zen labor, la la land where her uterus can completely take over to do those strong contractions and we are allowing that contraction we're riding that that wave as some people like to call it and it's causing physiological pushing without us having to do all the work Um, Mm -hmm. and that's really what we want to try to do now this is harder when we've been induced when we have an epidural we're not feeling things that's where it gets tricky to allow the uterus to take over because um, things are off once we've got drugs in our body. So that's a little bit harder. So that's why I do teach a, um, open glottis, open breathing type push for those women who can't feel what's going on. So it's like, okay, well, what can we do to help create a slow descent of pressure downwards without having to do that breath hold? Mm -hmm. Um, so for the woman with epidural, sometimes a little bit of coaching might be needed, but for mm-hmm. women who can feel everything and who can get into that point of relaxation, yeah, we want to let it just happen. Yeah. yeah. Can, you can you elaborate, elaborate a, little a little bit more, more on, on the, the glottis and what that is and how that, that plays a part of pushing? Yeah. So our glottis, um, we like to actually 
we always say the diaphragm is the top of our core canister, but we can add the glottis in too, um, which allows us to speak and to talk. And when we have a closed glottis, so we're closing off um, our vocal cords and pushing, there's all the energies up here. When we have a relaxed jaw, we have a relaxed face and we're allowing energy downward. We call that open glottis where we're allowing energy downward. We're not creating tension here. Um, so that the pitch of the, the different pitch of the way that we're breathing or making noises during birth can affect that. So we want to get out of like these high pitch like <laughs> screams and get more low. <laughs> low pitch is open glottis. So I teach all of that in the birth um, in my push lab class. And I learned that actually my pelvic health rotation during PT school, I was working with a pelvic floor physical therapist who was an opera singer. And so she was doing vocal lessons. It almost seemed like with so many of her patients. And she gave me this book. I think it's called the anatomy of breathing. I haven't read it in a while, but I read it the whole thing and was just floored. I'm like, breathing is life. And we didn't really touch base on it that much in PT school. Um, but yeah, so the way that we vocalize, the way that we breathe can help in birth. Yeah, breath, breath is, is so powerful, so even with things unrelated to pelvic floor, floor just, just other, you know, know other, other areas, areas that people are experiencing pain. pain. I, feel I feel like breathing, breathing is, is so, such a fundamental, fundamental skill that we need to master. Um, but you're right, we barely got anything on it in PT school. So I know. I know. I, I, when I was treating patients one-on-one, -on -one, and when I get back to that someday once my kids are older, I mean, I always start with the breath because mm -hmm. it changes everything. It changes the nervous system. It's like our – it's the key to opening the nervous system and allowing change there and getting out of that fight-or-flight response, yes. which yeah. we don't want to be in when we're giving birth. So you, so you talked, talked a little bit already about, about how laboring, laboring on, on the back, back is not ideal, ideal for mom. For mom. What, is what is the benefit, the benefit of laboring and pushing, pushing in different positions and what are some other options that moms have available to them? Yeah, so we want to be as upright as possible. Um, that's allowing gravity to assist us, but we also need to be as relaxed as possible. So if we get into an upright position, for example, like a deep squat, and we cannot relax in that position, that's not the birth position for us. So it really is individual to how you feel um, in the position. So in the push lab, I have moms go through the different positions. We're practicing different uh, breathing techniques. And you might think, oh, this is my position. But when you get into birth, you might completely shift. You might be exhausted and like, I don't want to do that. So even if we end up on the bed with pillows behind us, so we're kind of like in this modified squat um, position, so we're reclined with our legs up, that's going to be better than being flat on our backs. So we want gravity to assist us. We want to be open to changing. When I was in the hospital with my first birth, I was like, this is not comfortable. And they didn't want me to move, but movement is key. Like we have to listen to that intuition. Even if we have an epidural, uh, we're going to experience something like this doesn't feel right. I need to move. So that is really important to listen to your body, to not stick to one position. Um, so hands and knees, you know, if you can get a chair to be on the ground with one leg up, um, side lying is good. If you can be a little bit more elevated than just flat on your side to allow gravity to assist you, um, that's great too. So, excuse me, 
listening to your intuition. If you haven't had that epidural, you'll kind of know what you, where your body wants to be and get in that position. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. And then why might a mom who had a C-section be experiencing some pelvic floor dysfunction postpartum? Is it still possible to have pain and incontinence when the baby was not birthed vaginally? Yes. So we have to think of the anatomical, postural, biomechanical changes that just simply occur to every single pregnant mom. Um, our posture changes, the way we move changes, the way that we engage, our core muscles change. So, so many changes happen and they have to happen to accommodate baby. That's okay. But it, our pelvic floor is kind of like holding everything up. So they're working overtime during pregnancy. And because of that, postpartum women who have a cesarean birth, they could experience leaking. They couldn't experience pelvic pain. Um, they could end up with prolapse. Sometimes people think prolapse is only from the childbirth experience, but we could get a prolapse from pregnancy. Um, and all of those reasons are reasons why we should see a pelvic floor PT postpartum. My dream is that we could all see one. That's a naive thing to say because it's not accessible to everyone everywhere. Mm -hmm. But I will say if you're in the States and you don't have one in your town, you can do a virtual visit with a pelvic floor PT within your state um, to get education and advice. Maybe not the hands-on um, approach that maybe might not be accessible to you. But things also happen with postpartum with the cesarean healing. You know, how did the doctor cut um, during the cesarean birth? How are you healing? What does the scar tissue look like? Um, has it changed the way that you breathe? Has it changed the way you, you engage your abdominal muscles? There's a lot of nerves in the, um, in the ab abdominal area that implicate the pelvic floor too. So there's just so much going on. And when we think of fascia connections, which is just like our skin and um, everything is connected. So when we understand that, we understand that a cesarean birth can affect the pelvic floor. You're not some rare unicorn if you have pelvic floor symptoms after a cesarean birth. And you're not crazy for showing up. You're not in the wrong place to go see a pelvic floor uh, physical therapist if you've had a cesarean birth and you are experiencing some symptoms. Yeah. We can still yeah. help you. Yes. Yeah. Do you touch, you on, touch on C sections in the push in lab the push at, all? at all? I have, with the push lab, I have several um, postpartum healing guides. They're like a bo bonus material that you get when you sign up. So one of them is a cesarean section healing guide. It's a PDF um, that just takes you through how to do some scar massage, when that's appropriate, um, and just some things to help with healing. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, as far as preparing for a C-section, like if you have a planned C-section, the push lab is probably not the right course for you because our goal is a vaginal birth when you take mm -hmm. the push lab, but we are keeping our mind open to the possibility that something could happen so that if we have an emergency cesarean, we're not putting that blame on ourselves. That is so important for moms to understand that there are things that are out of our control. So I take moms through the mental prep work um, that this is a possibility of how you're going to meet your baby or babies. And also, what does a gentle cesarean look like? What are some things that we can do that help not mimic a vaginal birth, but to help the mom feel like she's a little bit more in control, that you're getting some of those benefits of a vaginal birth with a cesarean birth. Awesome. Love that. Yeah. 
Um, okay, what is your favorite piece of advice to give birth partners about helping them be confident and supporting their partner during labor and delivery? Yes. Um, so when I'm talking to birth partners, I really want to empower them that you have a role and a place in the birth room. Let's just say that the birth partner is a spouse, a husband. There is room for your masculine energy in the birth room, and it's needed when mom gets to a place where she might be so tired, she can't advocate for herself anymore. So I really like to empower birth partners to, one, know mom's birth preferences, know what she wants. Um, Two, be ready to speak up for her. You can because you, if you are a family member, you can advocate for her. Um... And to have techniques, I always call it like your birth toolbox, techniques in your birth partner toolbox where you can help her decrease pain. You can help her remember her birth mantras. You can know kind of things that you can do to help her through that process and to take ownership of that. It's not a back row seat. You need to be front and center helping. And for some men who like that absolutely overwhelms them or women, if it's a woman birth partner, that's where doulas come in and doulas don't take the place of birth partners. They help support birth partner and mom and doulas do so much to help birth partners. Be like, Hey, I think she needs this. Why don't you go do that? Or I'm going to go do this. I think she could really, she would really appreciate this right now because doulas get to know the mom, but ultimately no one knows mom better intimately than a birth partner. If that birth partner is a spouse. So they kind of need to just get into that role and own it. Yeah. Awesome. Can you touch Can you a little, touch bit, a little on bit on the difference the between, between your second, second birth? birth. So, so sounds like the first like one the first was a little bit more traumatic and not what you were hoping for. And um, what was what were some of the biggest differences between your first and second? Because the second one was quite different than the first. Yes. <laughs> so after my first, I quickly became someone who said I will never birth in a hospital unless I'm medically have to like there's an emergency and I need to be there so I had a home birth I prepared for this with my second I went through my prenatal care was all with a home birth midwife she's a certified nurse midwife and there's been so much research Erica that's come out I think in 2019 about how it is not unsafe for low-risk moms with low-risk pregnancies to birth at home there's you know lower rates of like postpartum depression, of perineal tearing, of the C-section rate for home births is so low. I think it's like four or 5% compared to those averages we were just talking about. Um, So there's a lot of benefits and it's not dangerous. And the nurses, the certified nurse midwife knows what to do in emergent plans to keep baby stable should you need a transfer. So I just like to preface that because there's still this mindset out there that like it's negligent to do a home birth. But I prepared with a midwife, and at this point, the push lab had already come out. Um, I went through the material again myself. I did all of the mindset work, the spirituality work, and it was an amazing, beautiful experience. I won't say it was some pain-free, like, heavenly experience. You hear this in the natural birth world that, like, a pain-free birth is at your fingertips. It was work. But it, it was an eight-hour labor versus a 36-hour labor in the hospital. Oh my, gosh. my baby was born safely, baby Patrick. I was home in my bed. You know, the, my doula was there making me a home-cooked meal. And just the, the postpartum experience was so different. 
um, not having all of those medications and chemicals pumped into my body during the first birth and then being home with none of that. I didn't need anything. Um, And so it it kind of felt, I didn't want it to be like a redemptive birth, like I had done something wrong the first time, but it very much felt like a fulfilling experience. And I really saw the power of what women are able to do in myself. And that was beautiful experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And so with you, now you get to share, you, get to share with other moms, with you know, like you, you know, experience, I feel like the extremes like of both, of both. And, and you just, I don't know, it just, it just gives you a lot of credibility too, with like what you are educating and empowering other women. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, um, it was an awesome experience with twins. It's, I don't know what's going to happen with this birth, but, um, I have to get, kind of changed my mindset now that there's a big possibility that I will be in a hospital and you know yeah it's yeah. not the end of the world but yeah. um I just yeah. I think you can also have beautiful natural you know even medicated births in a hospital when we are educated on the interventions when we are saying yes confidently to what they're putting wanting to put in that IV mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. they're wanting to do for the birth plan um when we are educated and we can just make those decisions rather than having it passively happen to us. And we're just like, what are you offering? Okay. Like, you know, yeah, it makes yeah. for a different experience. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite, of my favorite pieces of research, pieces of research I, don't, I, don't, I can't quote the study, but one of my favorite things to share with moms is, moms is that there has been there research has been to show that the most positive birth experiences are when the mom feels the most in control. And so regardless of what setting that's in, you know, as long as mom is feeling like she's able to advocate for herself, make informed decisions and be in control, it's going to lead to more positive experience overall. Absolutely. And it's, we need more women going into hospital systems ready to advocate for themselves for us to see a change. You know, um, I'm not going to sit here and say we all just need a birth at home. No, right. like right. there's a place for hospitals and many people feel much more comfortable in hospitals or a birth center. That's a great option too. But yeah, I, I've heard of that study too. And it's amazing. Like if we just feel like we get to be an active participant in the decisions being made, it makes such a difference. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay, we're about okay, to wrap up, but a few last few questions. questions. Um, what would you say um, to a mama who is busy, busy, she's overwhelmed, and she wants to make sure she's, she's doing all the right things to prepare for labor and delivery? What would you say to encourage her? Um, I would say sign up for the Push Lab. It's a roadmap right there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not trying to be super salesy on You're this. Not. You don't come off that so, way at all. <laughs> if I wasn't confident in this course, I wouldn't say it so much. But for the mom who's approaching her due date, she's you're anxious. Maybe you're a first-time mom, you know, and everyone you know went into labor before their due date, and you're wondering what's wrong with me. I just want to encourage you that that baby will come on his or her own time. That the best thing you can do right now is to stop Googling, like, natural induction techniques or, like, what should I be doing? The best thing you can do is to calm yourself as much as possible. And I laugh because I didn't do this with my first. I tried to do all the induction things it didn't work and it left me stressed we know that a stressed out mama is less likely to dilate in the face so Mm -hmm. what can you do these final weeks to enjoy your home enjoy your body to treat yourself you know date nights with your spouse um, a spa day just anything you can do to bring that nervous system down and patience 
it's so hard. But when we can just focus on this baby will come, I cannot, this is the part of labor or this is the part of pregnancy I cannot control is when labor is going to start and I'm at peace with that. So whatever mantra you need to keep saying um, and just fill your time, fill your time as much as you can. So you're not hyper obsessing about it, which I know so many people do and I have done, I've been there, but yeah. Yeah. that baby's going to come. Yes. Mm-hmm. When they're ready. When they're ready. <laughs> yes. All right, and then All last right, one last for the mom who's the mom pregnant, pregnant, approaching her due date, feeling anxious. How would you encourage her? You kind of already touched on that. Oh, I kind of touched on. I kind of yeah. think I just answered that question. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that just be patient and to go back to your other question. Besides taking the push club, just finding the voices that you respect and trust during birth during pregnancy is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting rid of the rest. So if there's someone who wants to tell you their negative birth story, it's not rude to say right now I'm only focusing on like positive aspects of childbirth. Um, but I'm so sorry that like this was a traumatic experience for you, you know, or, or I don't want to hear any birth stories. There are loving ways. To say, there's a way to have a loving no. And we need to learn that during pregnancy um, so that we filter what we allow into our minds. Yeah. Because it will affect so important. our mindset. Yeah. How can our listeners find you if they want to get in touch? Sure. So my Instagram handle is Dr. Betsy PT. I'm also on Pinterest and TikTok as Dr. Betsy PT, but Instagram seems to be where I hang out the most. Um, And my website is yesmamaco.com, and that is where you can sign up for my email list. I do not spam very often. I actually send weekly meal prep lists because I love cooking and it's just some like a fun way to connect with my audience. And it's also a way to stay in the loop when I have sales on the push lab and other course offerings that I have coming in the future. Awesome. And if they yeah, wanted if they to do the push lab, is that where they would go? Yes, Monica. Yes. There's a link right there for it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, well, thanks Betsy, so much for Betsy, taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for having me on Erica. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. I hope you felt encouraged and that you learned something new. If you've been enjoying listening to Project Pelvic Health, would you mind just taking a minute to rate and review as well as maybe share it on your social media and subscribe to make it a little bit easier for other mamas to find us. We would so appreciate that. We'll see you next time on Project Pelvic Health. (laughs) 